Ideas are easy, but it's the actual implementation that's difficult. You'll never know if your theories and your projections are accurate if you don't just get out and do it. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Hidden Apron Radio with me, Paulo Española. We are recording back in New York. I just got back from an 11-day trip to Japan not too long ago where I felt like I lived a completely different life. So even though my Instagram says I'm still in Japan, I think I'm still just trying to relive the experience. And for those who have not been, who have always wondered what it's like, uh, for one, it's definitely not as expensive as people make it seem. So if you want to hear about those, I'll be releasing a blog post about that shortly. And perhaps one day in the future when the robots finally take over, we just get to travel, eat, and chill as much as we want. But that's not how reality works for now. Anyway, speaking of work, today's episode deals again with the business of food. So if you remember, a few months ago, we interviewed a friend and entrepreneur, Arun Motalal, which has been one of our best performing episodes to date. He covered a lot about the story being Guyanese in America, owning a shop where he sources ingredients from Guyana, and the power of storytelling. So today, we're featuring another entrepreneur who's using his ventures to impact communities worldwide, especially in the Philippines, in positive ways. Basically, doing business for good. Our guest today is Justin Garrido of Social Products, which sources organic food products such as heirloom rice, cacao, from Philippine cooperative smallholder farmer partners that empowers rural farmers, women, and indigenous people with a more sustainable way to eradicate poverty. Just grab that off the website. Justin began his journey down the road of social entrepreneurship, where his interest was piqued after volunteering at a soup kitchen while still working as a director of purchasing for Aldi, which is a German supermarket chain. Justin made the jump from corporate, went back to school, getting an MBA at the University of Melbourne and going on exchange to the Asian Institute of Management, and finally visited the Philippines, the land of his family, with a fresh perspective. Using his experiences in school, and his early forays into the social entrepreneurship space with his first project, Social Projects. It's basically a crowdfunding platform. Justin then co-founded Social Products, and he'll cover all of this, his transition from school to his first project and now Social Products in the episode. Uh, We cover a lot about the unique space when passion and profit blend in positive ways. We talk about Justin's multiple transitions, and trust me, he's got many. Just look him up on LinkedIn. Uh, The big challenges in using business to, quote-unquote, give back. The power of storytelling, especially when selling what could be considered a commodity product. And other often misaligned B terms that everyone, including conscious lovers of food, should know. Uh, Terms like strategy, networking, margins, uh, those are very real terms that affect anyone who's trying to do good, uh, even if you don't particularly consider yourself business savvy. So oftentimes, many a good idea has floundered simply because the people behind it lack the business acumen and skills required to execute the idea. So if this sounds like someone like you, where you have a good idea, just not sure how to get it done, this is definitely the episode for you. If you think that business is a bad word that only belongs in Wall Street, do give this episode a listen. It might just be the thing that makes sure that the good ideas you dream up that will change the world for the better will survive and thrive. On to the show. Justin, welcome to Hidden Apron Radio. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, be here. I know, especially since we've been talking about this since we met at 
next day better in DC. October. Which was, was it really October? I think. I know. Yeah, time flies though, right? Is it, <laughs> it was. Jeez. So I wanted to actually backtrack because when I was looking through your LinkedIn, you know, at the very bottom of a LinkedIn profile, it goes like see more like the positions you've held. And like, yeah. I, was, I remember going through yours um, a couple of weeks back and I just kept clicking like see more, see more. Um, and I'm man. like, oh my gosh, this is like a really long road. Because I admit when I first met you and, and I saw what you were doing, I was just thinking like, okay, he brings really good rice from the Philippines. And, you know, I had this very, very basic view, but... Could you quickly take me through the road and how you got to social Any, products today? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I've been involved in social entrepreneurship since like roughly 2011 um, through exploring different models, business models, um, doing cons uh, some consulting work for some nonprofits and social enterprises as well as corporations. But um, I guess for me, pursuing the type of work with a greater purpose and passion started like when I was working for a German retailer called Aldi in their corporate headquarters in Chicago. I was a purchasing director. Mm -hmm. So Aldi is a German retailer, supermarket, a lot of private label goods. And uh, one day a friend asked me if I wanted to join him in volunteering at this soup kitchen in uh, Rogers Park. This is around like uh, 2008, October. And, yeah. uh, I hadn't volunteered in a while. I'd been really busy in my corporate career, moving up and uh, just really engrossed in that. That experience was just really powerful powerful for me, um, just preparing the food, serving it. I happened to meet another Filipino-American that was volunteering as well. It was his first time. He was also going with another, I think it was like through a meetup group. When we were ready to serve the meal, they asked if somebody would do grace. And the, the, the Philan guy uh, went ahead and did a, a brief prayer and afterwards, it's like, wow, what made you do that? That was pretty awesome. Because, you know, we had spoke earlier that afternoon, and he was just there helping out. And he was like, you know what? He had actually seen his cousin, who he'd been uh, estranged from for the last few years, mm -hmm. on the other side, like receiving a free meal. And she was really embarrassed. And she said, please don't tell your mom that you saw me. And it was just like a real, like, uh, wow. touching moment. And uh, after, you know, spending the day there, serving, cleaning, you know, connecting with the, the folks, both serve, volunteering as well as, uh, you know, people eating, uh, I was driving home and I was physically tired, but I was so invigorated to pursue something like spiritually awakened with doing something of a greater purpose. So I went home, you know, and I started looking into like, I, I read about Kiva I read about Ashoka. I learned about this um, Kiva is hybrid the, business. The micro lending one, right? Yes, yes. Okay. So um, I was exposed to models, business models that provide that combine social good and business principles, which now it's you know a lot more common. But in 2008, I was just fascinated. Like I would love to have a career in that space and uh, you know do that type of work where you you really feel like there's there's a purpose. Mm -hmm. So from that, I decided that, you know, I wanted to pursue my MBA, learn more, get more skills so that uh, if I wanted to pursue entrepreneurship or work for an organization with a greater purpose, I could do that. So I prepared for eight months, saved up money, uh, did the best I could do at my job, volunteered at other places like job placement services for homeless folks. And then I eventually left my company and pursued my MBA and doing that. I also traveled across Asia during my break from leaving my job and starting a program to like China, to like Beijing, uh, Bangkok, Thailand, Vietnam, 
and uh, Hong Kong. And it was my first time traveling across Asia outside of the Philippines. And I just really fell in love with Asia, Southeast Asia, the region. I really felt at home. Like whatever country I mm -hmm. went to, I felt like, you know, I was treated like a local until I spoke. <laughs> uh, so that it's, it's you know it's a journey right like that steve Jobs said you connect the dots later yeah yeah, but yeah. I, was, I was pursuing you know what i was interested in so i was like you know it'd be great to pursue an mba in asia pacific you know because of the potential and just the the, the quality of life that you could have there i mean I was, i'm really into like culture specifically so, for uh, the social entrepreneurship part or was this no, because this you just, just wanted just, to learn there yeah i mean I, I was looking at being an expat working for like a multinational doing something related to food because of my background in retail. Right. So something FMCG. I ended up going to Melbourne Business School uh, because of one of my former professors in college was like an associate dean there. And he was also big in, he was also running a social innovation center there. So he convinced me to go there. It was a good gateway. It was a top-ranked school in Asia and Pacific. I went to Australia. And then uh, when I was looking, and part of the reason why I went to that school was they had a really good exchange program where you could go on exchange to um, like Hong Kong or Singapore and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But uh, related to that long journey that I'm talking about, I uh, visited the Philippines after a long time and I was like, man, it'd be cool if uh, I could set up an exchange program with Melbourne Business School and the Asian Institute of Management because I heard from relatives that it was a good school in, in uh, the Philippines and Asia. Right. So I wrote a letter to my to the dean of my school on how I'd be a good ambassador to both schools, how I'd start something with a social focus, you know, participate in clubs, maybe set up a net impact chapter. And it ended up be becoming true. They ended up, you know, adding the school as a partner school. And I went on exchange in 2011. Was really um, so that was really kind of started my on the ground journey in social entrepreneurship, where I was meeting different leaders in this space through AIM, through AIM conferences. I learned about like the, the GK Enchanted Farm. I, I learned about like rags to riches and corporate social responsibility and how it relates to social entrepreneurship. So I was inspired as well as uh, affected by seeing the, the, the level of poverty in the Philippines as, you know, like when you first go to Manila, you have a different set of lens and it, it really affected me to this day where I, I have a like a, a drive or calling to to do something to to make an impact in the country of my parents. Right, and I would actually add, you know, for people who haven't been to Manila, that if if you don't, and this is like the good and the bad side, is like if you don't want to see it, you don't have to. You know, if you're if you're a tourist and you just want yeah. to spend your time in a mall, you could totally think that the whole country is this like uber developed, urbanized mm. thing. So the fact that you're seeing it, it speaks to, yeah. to the effort. Yeah, that you know, when I went on, wanted to go on exchange in the Philippines, it was more about learning the, uh, being more close to the culture and just being able to explore the country outside of relatives. Because every time I'd visit the Philippines as a, as a second gen philam, my titas would, you know, have me in a, in a you know, they'd take me around in, in their SUV with a driver, and we'd go to the different malls like Rockwell and yeah. Green. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I was like, you know, that's not the real Philippines because in previous years I'd be like, hey, you know, I connected with this pastor and I wanted to visit this homeless shelter, but it was uh, it was a challenge trying to get around. So by me actually living there for a few months, I had to navigate public transportation, taking, you know, tricycle, jeep, you know, taxi, and uh, I absolutely loved it. I, I felt so alive. Kind of some making a long story short, with a former classmate of mine who's like a Filipino Australian, we uh. We wanted to start something, 
um, to support the ecosystem of social entrepreneurship. So we looked at a co-working space at the time, but we learned about CoLab and you know, I'm friends with them as well, the folks there. And we also looked at a crowdfunding model because I was inspired by Kiva. Mm-hmm. And uh, my partner was telling me about Kickstarter at the time. This is like in 2011. Oh, so we wanted to... Kickstarter was still, was still pretty new. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, that'd be cool. Like a hybrid model where you feature like social good projects from vetted uh, um, social enterprises and even nonprofits, but the projects with a sustainability focus, whether it be looking at solar lamps or bamboo bicycles or um, uh, financial literacy training program for nanas or, you know, several other type of... Um, pretty cool models. We decided on that. I went back to school in Melbourne to finish my last semester while working on the business model, you know, talking to classmates, working on the financial planning. And then I moved to the Philippines after I graduated 2011 and spent the next year building the platform and visiting communities and reaching out to partners to feature projects. And at the time we had a a concept of reaching out to the Filipino diaspora as a a way to, as a, as a theory, like what, what if we could redirect remittances in some way or that channel towards um, more sustainable projects related to what we're working on. Right. So at and this point, though, you're, you're developing the, the, the platform already at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. So we had awesome graphic designers with Plus 63 and Dan Matutina and team, uh, which at the time, you know, they had worked on some, you know, they've always had a heart for like social good type of projects, but now they've really, they still do that, but they've blown up working for a lot of really big. Right, uh, right. I'm wondering where, how the fire kept burning because volunteering at soup kitchens, yeah. a lot of big companies, a lot of big companies do it, right? Anyone can volunteer if they'd like, but for yeah. some reason, something happened that, I mean, the fact that you went all the way to MBA school, <laughs> went to the Philippines, you know, took the time, the investment to start a venture to do this. I mean, that's a lot of effort. All from stemming from you know like where what was it about the soup kitchen and the experiences after that really made you think like well there has to be something here that has a social entrepreneurship component like what what was the thing oh that it was just just, just the whole field of social entrepreneurship I was just fascinated by it because it was like in again in two thousand eight when I heard about these models and I was like wow that's like the best of both like now it's so common like oh yeah you know profit plus passion and this, that. But for me, like to this day, I'm still absolutely fascinated by these models. Like if I'm at, if it's midnight and I come across an article about a cool model working in communities, addressing different needs, um, right. you know, I, I'll be reading it and, and seeing how they balance that. You know, I'm fascinated by that tension between mission and profit for those that are truly trying to make an impact because there's going to be a tension like with a for profit company. It's about maximizing shareholder wealth or maximizing profit. But then when you add a, sec- a social component with your already tight margins, you have to already dedicate some of your profit towards that. So it makes it even you know, twice as hard, if you will, yeah. to, uh, run a, to run a business in a traditional sense. As, as a tangent, uh, I'm wondering on your opinion on this before I, we go into like, the actual social product, like how you jumped from yeah, the crowdfunding yeah. model. But do you mm-hmm. think that mission and profit are opposite forces like they they are diametrically opposed that if you increase profit the mission has to go down or some sort of social component has to go down no i mean i think that's a traditional thinking but i think that you know there's a paradigm shift in thinking where sustainability is good for business it's about efficiency like when we worked at aldi we turned off the lights uh if somebody wasn't in the office you know i I train our employees like that we'd 
encourage people to bring their own bags, customers, or use boxes because it, save, it, it affects the bottom line. So if you could tie it to the bottom line, like for environmental sustainability, for instance, it makes good sense. For um, social missions in terms of underprivileged communities, I think in general, like the purpose of, of, a, of entrepreneurship of a business is to, you know, address an unmet need. So a real need and challenge. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, I think mission and profit inherently could be very much aligned. Um, it's just you have to be more creative in, in seeing how that works. Because I even looked at like base of the pyramid strategies where you look at like underprivileged communities as, um, you know, customers. Mm-hmm. So you see things like uh, with the Procter & Gamble and uh, the Colgate's with these sachet packets that are, are logical to smaller packs. Although on the flip side, it's bad for the environment because they end up getting clogged in the waterways and whatnot. But yeah, so I, I think it's a challenge, but I don't necessarily think it's... Um, gotcha. By the way, if uh, people who are listening who've never seen the sachet packs that um, Justin's <laughs> mentioning, so toothpaste in many third world countries or, or countries that aren't selling, you know, like Costco, for example, uh, or yeah. don't have a Costco, they sell, uh, what do you call it? It's not just toothpaste because I've also seen it for shampoo. I've seen it for oil, vegetable oil. Things are sold in like little sachets so you could only buy exactly what you need rather than like getting a whole tube so that you... I guess the purpose is so that you could spend less money than trying to like buy it in bulk. Yeah, just what you need, and you know, just like buying one or two cigarettes versus a pack. <laughs> yeah, the guys with the boxes, the onesies, walking around the streets. Okay, see, I knew I was going to go on a tangent with this, but so you were building the <laughs> the platform for the crowdfunding, which was a social yeah, it, project, right? Yeah, and and okay. you're asking like, you know, how did you keep that drive and desire for so long? Well, mm-hmm. I, I guess different factors came up over that period. Like when I was in my MBA, I took a leadership for social impact class, and I was also really interested in marketing. What was I going to say? What was the uh, one of the catalysts? But like when I was involved with like a net impact chapter in school in Australia, it was kind of for me hard to see the the potential with social entrepreneurship in in a country like Australia with great government services and. Uh, you know, basically, um, what do you give someone who already has everything? Kind of yeah, problem. and then there's still a lot of need, definitely. And there's different focus areas where you're looking at, like, uh, you know, youth, uh, immigrants, and whatnot. You know, just like it would in the U.S. But for me, like when I went to the Philippines on exchange, it really blew it out of, uh, really, you know, put it in a different context when it was just so, uh, when poverty was just so omnipresent. Yeah. At the same time, there's also really cool models. So we worked on a crowdfunding platform with a knowing from research both primary and secondary from interviewing folks in the field as well as my own research, our research, that the three key needs uh, to grow the social entrepreneurship sector would be um, access to funding so they could um, grow and scale different uh, projects. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing was access to markets for their goods or service, and that could be uh, challenges with physical infrastructure like roads from mountains to uh, you know market cities, as well as you know, other things to get people directly to customers. So that's what, what I mean by market. And lastly, it's like having the, the business acumen skills, whether it be financial planning or budgeting, so that they could sustain their operations. So knowing those three key needs, we wanted to develop uh, a platform that started with crowdfunding, but would also move into market access and provide a consultancy later on with um, helping with business acumen and marketing and branding. So it was a really ambitious concept. Mm-hmm. We launched the crowdfunding. We like uh, we funded some really cool projects on like solar energy. We partnered with groups like uh, 
Solar Energy Foundation, Ayala Foundation, where we raise money for some uh, underprivileged youth scholarships. And um, that experience, aside from you know fundraising, also exposed me to different rural communities and agriculture, and I saw tremendous potential in that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, our platform ran out of resources. My co-founder moved into her other ventures related to coffee, and um, I just was I no longer was passionate about the crowdfunding itself, and I wanted to do something more hands-on, actually working with communities and actually working with cooperatives, which I saw was an area of big potential sure. in agriculture. And so that, it, it kind of led me in, in that way, both out of necessity because the crowdfunding platform, um, I was no longer passionate about it. And we, let, we, uh, we ran out of resources to, to maintain it. We couldn't get additional funding to grow it. And my, my phase two was always to look at markets. And another idea that I had for years with my cousin before I did my MBA was we wanted to get into like import-export. So at the time, I was thinking, oh, we'll find, a, you know, maybe some kind of products in Hong Kong. And I thought it'd be really, I, I just thought it'd be something pretty cool. So combining those, I've always been the type to pursue my passions. Yeah. yeah especially after leaving my corporate career. Um, so that was what led me into, hmm, what kind of natural organic food products could we feature and work with? farmers on and start to understand the needs on the ground and trying to create that linkage in the supply value chain. I was really fascinated about agriculture. And um, so while we, I still had the platform, this is back in uh, 2014, I uh, was also attending different agriculture conferences based on my network. So there's a, a smart agriculture group. Uh, why, along with- why agriculture, by the way? Because you could have picked any other industry, right? Oh, you, yeah. you funded uh, other ventures. You could have been interested yeah, yeah. in solar, for example. So why agriculture why, in particular? Uh, I, I uh, you know, I was also fascinated by weaving and weaving materials and IP communities, mm-hmm. but also I, I, I saw that as a challenge with the limited amount of material they could make. Sure. So I also look at it from a sustainability perspective, like, okay, if you were to create something with it, you wouldn't have a lot of material. You'll have a big bottleneck on the supply side, one. And number two, I'm kidding myself to think I could get into fashion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was like, all right, let's be real here. I don't think I could launch a sneaker line. Because <laughs> I even actually went to Marikina and met with shoemakers there. Oh, yeah, it's like the shoemaking capital of the Philippines. Yeah, so I, was, I had some cool concepts for social products. Like, we, you know, my cousin Chris now, he, he went to the Philippines too because um, he's based in L.A. And, yeah. uh, you know, I went to Marikina, visited shoemakers, you know, talked to some weaving friends and, you know, explored concepts um, but at the same time, I was also looking at agriculture because um, of my experience also in, in the communities. Like These are just things that I'm, I'm looking at it from a perspective of what's available. Mm. What do they already have and how can we make it better? I think by, that's, a, that's uh, a common thread that I've, I've heard across a lot of, of uh, other people that I've spoken to is asking the question of what do they already have yeah. there rather than like, you know, you hear of these stories of people just coming in and going like, this is what you need. <laughs> you know, you need yeah. this. You bring up a great point, and, and that's something that I wanted to make sure I mentioned as well. It's like I make sure we approach, approach it from a humble perspective and really listen to what the needs are and what you know what our partners would be interested in versus coming in with like a savior mentality mm, of like, oh, mm. let's, let's do this, and yeah, let's let's change the way you're doing, doing things. Um, so um, kind of relating back to how I was involved with a lot of um, like social development groups and uh, I heard about biodynamic farming and um, our co-op in North Cotabato. So I got in touch with them through my contacts and I ended up 
going there a few times um, to um, Batasan up in like the foothills of Mount Apo and just spend a few days there mm-hmm. understanding uh, the, the foundation and uh, the advocacy of farmer empowerment plus uh, non-GMO. And we're like, hey, let's, you know, what can we do? How can we support support this and grow this? Did you mention, so, by the way, I think when we met, you mentioned that you are, I don't know if it's like a, a relative or your grandmother who's like a rice trader? Or oh, I'm yeah. Getting that wrong? So I found, that, I found that out after I started doing what oh, we're wow. doing. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, maybe I was trying to look for some good story, some so, good thread like to connection. try to tie in, you know, quite honestly. How did you find out that you were actually related to like someone who was already in the rice industry? Oh, just talking to my grandmother. I, you know, she's, she just turned 100 oh, um, last month. Yeah, thanks. Uh, she's from Bataan. You know, when I was telling, we were telling her about, hey, you know, we, we started selling rice, black rice. We we're just asking her, hey, have you heard of it? You know, of course, you're going to go to your family right. and, you know, see what their experiences were. And then my uncle and my Lola was telling me about she was a rice trader. And that's how they, <laughs> you know, how she helped support her kids, put them through college and really support the local community, giving loans and um, having like a whole warehouse and everything. Even supplying rice to uh, Manila when during World War II when there was um, rice shortages. But she eventually immigrated with uh, other relatives to the U.S. and she turned over the uh, the rice business to her to my tita or to my uh, to her sister who yeah. um, was as business savvy and ended up just folding up. <laughs> Wait, and so and so you found this out after you had already gone down the road of agriculture. Yeah, I mean, like my dad has a huge green thumb like my family my my, lo- my grandfather who passed away they're really big like he my, my grandfather used to be a land prospector for the local government in Bataan. very honest uh hard-working guy so there's always uh you know for a lot of what, I, what i've seen too is a lot of uh filipino americans that i end up getting in touch with that reach out to me they also have like a lot of family that's involved in agriculture like you mentioned that as well right like yeah uh, so it's just kind of tied to our culture, like in, in some way there, there's great land and whether you're growing just crops for your own house as a home garden, it, it's it's very much a part of, uh, you know, the Philippines and a lot oh, of our yeah. experiences. So that was just uh, felt right. when you when you say that there's great land, I'm going to I'm going to make sure I note that because my follow up question to that is like, we do have great land, but then why do we have all these challenges along with our farming communities? Before I go down there, um, you mentioned black rice. So that's, I'm assuming, one of the products you sell. What other products do you carry? We also carry red rice, and it was a challenge um, in, uh, when we tried to carry it earlier last year, mm-hmm. um, getting it through some of the like FDA and USDA because they classified red rice as like a... <clears throat> As a noxious weed, even though noxious wait, weed. Wait, what? N O X I O U S. Like it's poisonous. Yeah, like it's it's a weed, like it's uh, in, invasive and whatnot. So oh. it's related to seeds, but it's not accurate. I think it's somewhat political because there's so much red rice from Thailand and other countries, and even here in the U S. Ah, okay. um, so we had to find a workaround on how to bring it in. So um, that's why we just had black rice initially because we had challenges launching the second product. We launched with one product initially just to understand the um, the end-to-end supply chain, get feedback, and you know mm-hmm. it's easier to manage. And then we, you know, have our red rice now. Aside from that, we're focusing on the black and red heirloom rice. We're also um, now offering cacao. 
So cacao beans, and currently with our co-op in Davao, they're roasting the cacao beans and we're making nibs. Mm. So it's kind of fun. We're like kind of creating things, co-creating together. Yeah, that's, yeah given- I've kind of been obsessed with uh, the chocolate industry lately. <laughs> no, I, I've actually... I know Amy Bess out here in, in New York uses Malagos yeah. chocolate a lot. And like, yeah. I've seen a lot of the, the Davao chocolate um, manufacturers winning awards, international awards for the chocolate. And I'm like, wow, Filipino chocolate? Like who would have thought, right? Because of the, the rice that you're carrying, right? You mentioned heirloom rice, black rice, red rice, and, and how ubiquitous rice is to our cuisine. Culture. Yeah. What are some surprising facts that about rice that you've learned that you don't think the normal average person knows, right? Because we eat so much of it that it's often easy to take it for granted. Like, oh yeah, sure, toss in another cup of rice. Well, one thing that fascinated me early on was the health benefits of uh, the uh, colored rice grains um, mm-hmm. because of the husk. So people kind of know that now more so with brown rice. Um, it's basically white rice with the husk, the outer husk along it. But the husk is actually what can, com, uh, contains a lot of the nutrients and minerals. Is the husk the so skin keeps, of the rice or like what is the husk? Yeah, it's like the outer, um, yeah, I guess you call it this, the outer shell. Okay. Yeah, just how much health benefits. It actually, the darker color ends up having more more benefits and it's also good good fiber as well. So the, um, you know, people just think white rice and um, it's unhealthy. You're having all this paleo non-grain type of products and meal trends going on mm-hmm. now but yep, yep. Uh, colored rice actually has a lot of health benefits um black and red actually have more antioxidants uh than even brown rice lower protein uh a higher protein less carbs uh so that, that's something interesting is uh for people to understand that there's actually pretty good health benefits and it tastes good too um, I mean, it looks good i've been using your rice in in like, oh, yeah. photos of it i'm like man this makes a gorgeous looking <laughs> plate yeah but it, that's it, just the instagrammer in me you know yeah, no, that's, that's definitely really cool. You're listening to Hidden Apron Radio, produced by myself, Paulo Española, and Ricky Ho. Just two ordinary guys trying to break bread and break boundaries. Thoughts, musings, ever just wanted to rant at us? Do let us know at hiddenapron at gmail.com or at hidden underscore apron on both Twitter and Instagram. Back to the show. So, okay, so you have the products now, you're selling them. How does this, or how, how have you managed to turn the revenues from it into a way that then supports the communities? Like, how, what are the programs that you put into place to help grow the communities that, that is actually growing this rice? Yeah, so with, uh, you know, we, we committed a percentage of our uh, funds um, towards an existing organic training program to promote like an advocacy of um, mm-hmm. preserving the earth, regenerative agriculture, um, which is needed, especially in that region when you have uh, a lot of Dole and Del Monte plantation spring chemicals throughout the area. Yeah. And so I'm talking about like really amazing fertile land that we need to protect and preserve the local flana, flora and fauna mm-hmm. versus this um, monocropping that you see. Uh, so like when I went back on December, we, we uh, were able to you know, we were able to break a profit last year and we were able to give a, um, a check to them uh, towards that existing program. So for us, like in March will be our two years since we launched. So we're just getting started and haven't given as much as I'd like to. But we, we've uh, been working on refining our processes so that we could expand more as well as uh, give back more. Um, with Cacao, we're, uh, I was just talking to our um, 
cacao farmers yesterday and or a couple of days ago, and we we're brainstorming our partnership on how we could use funds to um, based on their needs. Mm-hmm. So there's some training um, on best practices that they're trying to onboard more farmers in and, and buy seedlings for them. Um, so that's something we're looking at on the cacao side, okay. but it's still a work in progress with regards to that. What would you say is the is the biggest challenge when trying to quote unquote give back? Right? Is it identifying where the money should go? Is it uh, telling the story to people who are buying the product? Like, what what is the biggest challenge? Um, well, it well I'll just say in general, our challenge, especially working directly with smallholder cooperatives. Mm-hmm. So most of the farms and the farmers have just one or two hectares which is why I like the cooperative model because they use their, um, re- they, they pool their resources um, and profit share so that uh, they can compete more effectively. But uh, two challenges that we come up in terms of our expansion and growth as well as on the farm side has been uh, working on consistent quality due to agriculture factors mm-hmm. uh, such as like droughts, like El Nino drought last uh, March really wiped out a lot of crops, which limited our supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, so quality and supply are, are two challenges that we've we've faced working in the type of model we have, like directly with um, small smallholder farmers. Like even for us to launch, it, it, it took a year to get to where we needed to be because with organic rice, there's an issue with rice bugs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just hard to escape because there's also like rice eggs and or bugs that have eggs and it could sprout out like six months later when the product's already in consumers' hands. So it's pretty scary from a from a you know product perspective, right? A right. Perspective. Right. So we we invested in like a hermetic cocoon, and we uh, bought it for our farmers so that when they uh, it it knocks out like 98 percent uh, of the oxygen, pumps it up with naturally producing CO2, mm-hmm. and uh, we then vacuum pack it, and then we we haven't had any issues with a that. Hermetic. Okay, so I'm I'm a little ignorant. Like it sounds like a missile defense yeah. system or something. What is a, <laughs> what is a hermetic cocoon? It's basically like a, a an oxygen sealed big sack bag where you put rice inside of. Okay, and um, has naturally occurring CO2. So that it would kill any kind of rice bugs oh, in there because they they couldn't breathe the ox they couldn't yeah no oxygen basically so, yeah so it's 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 also good for um, like other crops like coffee and I'm also going to be using something similar for cacao as we're shipping it over ocean in jute mm-hmm. bags so it's really interesting like um, all the different agriculture the, practices yeah, the- handling processing and not compromising quality mm-hmm. when we're giving it to our end consumers because we've targeted the uh, organic natural food industry for what we're doing. So like why we targeted that was we felt like if you try to just sell a commodity product uh, mainstream, there's not enough profit margins to work to sustained operations working with small farmers. It's better to you know source and partner with a large manufacturing plantation where there's more efficiencies and you, the cost per unit's a lot lower. Yeah. So I was thinking, you know, always looking at, you know, what is already existing and how can we contribute to it in the value chain. I believe that, especially for, you know, small Filipino farmers or in the Philippines, targeting the natural specialty food industry where you can get a premium if the quality is where it needs to be and you have unique products, unique products, uh, I think you could really grow a business out of. And you're seeing that now more and more. You see right. that to, cold pressed juices to America push towards more sustainability and transparency and where products are come from, which is great. I've seen um, a couple but, of uh, stands too in, in 
one of the bigger malls of like local, you know, I guess it will be our version of a farmer's market in these, in the big malls in Manila. And I was like, wow, when did, when did this start? Right. Um, I think you, yeah. you alluded to, so I was surprised that you didn't mention this as being a challenge because, um, I've yeah. heard this one said before with, with other, um, people working in, you know, trying to create a better product is, is the issue of storytelling. Cause you talked mm-hmm. about targeting the organic market and mm-hmm. right now, uh, I, I actually read an article about a week ago that, that the headline was sex no longer sells activism <laughs> does, right? You, you heard yeah. about like, um, when the whole, I, I, I like how you said, like, we're not going to mention Donald Trump at the beginning, but we probably are. <laughs> so like when the immigration ban happened, I remember Lyft and Uber like tweeting immediately like, oh, you know, we're, I'm going to donate this much. It's almost like using your activism as, as it's like the, the lines between activism and, and marketing start to blur. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you make sure that your product stands out in the midst of, you know, you could have a totally huge multinational corporation that just happens to use the right language, puts it right next to yours. And the consumer looks at them both and goes, you know what, they're both the same thing. No, you know, actually, that's a great, great point you brought up. Um, and that's that's where we pivoted last year and we're going full steam ahead this year. We're focusing more on the wholesale side of our business. Mm-hmm meaning providing it, uh, like last year we provide a lot in food service to a lot of restaurants, so that's the bulk of our business. Oh, okay. And only a small part of what we do is online and through retailers, so that's why you don't see us in, uh, we haven't really focused on expanding to oh. retailers, because it's very cost prohibitive, it's hard to compete on that scale when you talk about the unlimited resources of a multinational, of a major corp- food brand corporation. And to properly launch a, a food brand, I think you'd need like a half a million dollars at least to do it properly with a nationwide launch promoting advertising marketing. And uh, we don't have that resources and that isn't the direction we want to go initially because we're still trying to work out um, the quality side. Like for instance, I changed packaging supply. We have local packaging suppliers too, like in uh, in Gensan, not too far from North Cotabato, like a few hours. And I I changed packaging suppliers based on a relationship with uh, somebody in the previous company. And I ended up getting a really bad packaging for our, our black rice when we achieved a USDA organic certification that um, I didn't feel comfortable expanding further into retail for that from a practical perspective. Yeah. And two, because of a financial perspective, um, we could make m- more margins and work more directly with the buyers. So we've been focused more on B2B. Um, and that's probably, that's also why we uh, I stopped my partner and I, we stopped doing so much as much social media because we're not really targeting end consumers more oh, so we're wow. targeting sharing the story directly in a B2B marketing perspective. So when we're emailing, we're calling and, and reaching out to aligned buyers, um, there's authenticity to it. So we're not trying to upsell. We're not trying to like package, uh, put lipstick on a pig. We're really talking, we're trying to stay true to the integrity of where the product comes from, of, of the grains itself, the product itself, the farmers, the community, the land, the terroir, the climate and how it's unique and differentiated, and we let the product speak for itself. And I think um, that's something we learned from the year one to year two that it's not really, and maybe this is not great for for a consumer brand, but it's not really about us so much as just really promoting the products and where it comes from, and selling it to the right market. So the right market, yeah, I think that's that's uh, this is why I love markets. like not writing not writing like a script for this because I would have totally missed this point is, is oftentimes we hear about like, you need to be on social, you know, so your end consumer can know. And the fact that you did this pivot is really interesting. What, what in your experience have you found really sticks with your current buyers? Like what about your product or your story? Do they go like, that's why we want that product. 
Yeah, and, and when, when and for me, I'm uh, I I kind of cringe what for me and what is about my story because it's not really about me. Like mm-hmm. I, I want to be sort of like a conduit, a voice, a platform in which we can share what's going on on the ground. So like even with our buyers, they know who our cooperative is, mm-hmm. and um, you know, you know really trying to work on more transparency and connecting. But what they really like is just the uniqueness. Like Mindanao is such a great region. Um, you have, and the Philippines in general, being close to the equator. Um, in Mindanao, there's an ideal agri-tropical climate where it's like 80 degrees year round, especially in Southern Mindanao, it's protected from typhoons because of um, where it's located. Um, and the soil, like I've, I've actually turned into like a agriculture nerd where I'm really looking into <laughs> like soil. Yeah, I'm like, look, like I'm going to be going next time I go back, I'll be bringing like a pH meter and, and measuring the, the pH levels. And uh, just like a lot of my Congress, like last time I was back, we were looking at different organic soil mixtures mm-hmm. would be using seaweed or um, even some yogurt, whatnot. Yogurt. Uh, huh? Yeah. There, there's some cool stuff with uh, yogurt in, in that they use to, uh, with crops like bananas in terms of keeping certain pests away or bringing larger pests that eats the smaller pests which also works in the rice fields as well. But um, kind of going off on a tangent, but your question was, um, oh, how do you keep, you know. Oh, what, you draws, so, what, yeah, draws just, them, what draws them to. Yeah, just to the authenticity and the uniqueness of it. Like mm-hmm. you can't find, you could get cacao beans, for instance, from South America, Africa, Caribbean, et cetera. But the Philippines, it's, it's, it's an unexplored territory for a lot of these chocolate makers. Mm-hmm. For heirloom rice, you don't see Philippine rice. Uh, as prevalent, you hear about other types or Thai, whatever, and it's not really promoted as it's just more as a commodity where we present it. We also look at the type of clients that we target that have similar aligned values and care and consideration for the food. And for you as a chef, you could appreciate that, right? With, you know, understand yeah. like while we're talking now, it's just looking at the ingredients, where it comes from and how it's made and, you know, all the hands that it goes through to, yeah. to, to where it needs to be. So we, we target, you know, groups that are focused on like farm to table. And even though that, you know, some clients that have more of a local focus, we argue that, hey, you know, we have solidarity in terms of knowing and caring about where our food comes from, uh, connecting to the farmers and, um, you know, just providing good quality, healthy food, as simple as that. And uh, the other thing I, I feel that we've worked on is getting our price down to be more competitive. So cutting down our costs in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Not and, and from our farmers, we pay above fair wage, above local rates, at a minimum. So that that's that's not even a question. And then on the flip side, by knowing the different margins in the industry, from retailer to wholesaler, food service, and and food cost, we've been working hard to um, keep that competitive so that we could grow and scale and, and help our farmers move more of their product. So that's kind of actually our, what we've been working on. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's, it's obvious, you, like the, the language you're using, and this is like a complete compliment, is you, you almost don't talk of the, the work you're doing from as if you were a farmer. You know, you're using words like margin or the supply yeah. chain. And to me, I could see the obvious link of the benefits of you having come from uh-huh. corporate or having taken the MBA. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know, are there other things that you took away from your experiences being in corporate, uh, going into an MBA that you were like, wow, I'm so glad that I learned this before I, I, I launched social products, like that it, it totally helped when the time came? Yeah, I'd say two things would be like marketing like marketing and strategy, marketing strategy as well as operations, like getting mm-hmm. it from point A to point B. People take for granted all the different steps. Like we had to make sure the quality was there with uh, Hermetic Cocoon. We had to work on a packaging supplier. We had to work on custom vacuum pack. 
we had to look at the, you know, spending a lot of time at uh, retailers here in the U.S. like Sprouts and Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and seeing trends and seeing price points and talking to folks and just doing an initial research on that product market fit, um, I think really helped. So um, the marketing, I, I think one of our key success factors is doing the proper marketing strategy of market research, understanding the different segments, who we're going to target. And uh, you know how we we're going to position our company, like the storytelling and the authenticity, right? And um, creating that feedback loop with our with our farmers, like, hey, you know, the chef from this West Hollywood restaurant was comment complimenting on the flavor profile and this, that, whatever. So they love hearing it. And uh, you know, some of the materials we've created, um, like having the farmers showcased in different ways, uh, has been kind of fun for them as well. Because uh, they're like, it's just rice. <laughs> no, yeah. I would totally uh, you know, argue yeah. against that. Because I think, I mean, personally, once I've tasted heirloom rice or really good rice from the Philippines, like, I cannot go back. And this is not just me saying it because like, I'm a foodie, but it, it makes a complete difference in the taste. It's almost like, this is such a crude example, but you know when you're in college and all you've tasted is Patron? And that's your idea mm-hmm. of tequila, and then you realize like there's so much more out there. You're like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't. I, I, yeah, I still like I still like Patron. I love it. But, it's uh, just like your 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 worldview like expands and yeah, it's, you know, agave. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, awesome. it's probably not the best analogy to use. No, no, it is. It is. That I, popped in my head. Yeah, um, I, I've talked I've talked to folks like uh, here that you know work with farmers in Mexico, and you know they've t- told me about some of the different methods with tequila, same thing with coffee, with, you know, with the wine. It's really about, you know, the agriculture and how it's, and also how it's made and processed. So yeah, to me, that's yeah. really fascinating. Like, there's so much this is, to be honest, I, I'd be doing this work even if I, you know, didn't get paid, you know, if, if I was like a, a billion, gazillionaire and I didn't need any money, I'd, I'd still love going out into the communities, hiking, going to far-flung areas and working with farmers and sharing it with like, People who could appreciate it, like chefs, food makers, chocolate makers, etc. And, and that's another thing too. Why I wasn't as excited about retail coming from being a former retail buyer. Yeah. I mean, it was just about margins. You know, what's the packaging? What's the margins? What's the story? You don't. They don't even. A lot of times, these buyers don't necessarily even cook or taste the product. For me, it's like that's not as exciting to go back into that area right now. I'm more interested when I when I talk to people like you to chefs when they're talking about what the customer feedback is or, you know, other different interesting things on the flavor profiles of this and other products that we're working on, working on onboarding as well. And if you found something that you would be willing to do for free, it's exactly why, that's exactly why no. you're in this podcast, you know, because yeah, I think that's what yeah. everyone's kind of like looking for. We're talking about the, yeah. the, the lessons that you've learned from your experiences in in corporate and you know the MBA program but flipping that question let's say that Mm -hmm. someone who just graduated from college came up to you and they were like you know what I want to do what you're doing but they have no they don't have that corporate experience yet they haven't had the time to to hone those skills are there Mm -hmm. three to four skills that you're like hey uh you got to start practicing this now no matter what work you're doing what industry you, you start practicing these skills so that when they do launch their own social entrepreneurship yeah. venture, they can do it successfully. Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, you got to have a heart for it. So it's it's more than just buying and selling or buying low and selling high. And because mm-hmm. I see that a lot in the natural food industry with all these a lot of food brands where everyone's telling the same story, but you when you dig in further, it's like okay, they're just sourcing from a wholesaler or 
there's no real connection on the ground and, and you're not really on sure. the pig, like you said. Yeah, you're not really sure if they're really benefiting. Like you look at coconut, like the Philippines is like the top country for export of coconuts to the US, yet our coconut farmers are some of the poorest farmers out there. Mm, yeah. Why is that? Because these plantations that they're sourced that these, you know, holistic et cetera coconut uh, brands are sourcing from um, don't really want to get as involved on the ground level and uh, are just uh, there's some kind of disconnect there. Mm-hmm. But as an aside, to go back to what you're saying, I guess I would say do the proper research and planning. It's so critical. And I think that's what led us to have early success is just knowing, you know, who we're going to sell to, how we're going to do it. So even if you don't have a strategy and strategic planning background, you could do research. You could find out who you're going to sell to and how you'll do it. Right. And uh, aside from that plan, uh, I like this one quote from, you know, as an entrepreneur from Mike Tyson, anybody can have a plan until they get punched in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, you know, just being able to uh, listen to feedback and pivot appropriately, understanding clients' needs. Mm -hmm. But uh, a lot of it that people like that the MBA didn't help me with is just doing sales and being comfortable cold calling, cold emailing people, following up. I think that's a, a really big, important factor that a lot of people forget about when they're, they want to launch a food brand. They forget, like, you actually have to do work that may not be comfortable to you, mm-hmm. you know, like calling somebody and then they hang up on you, getting used to rejection, you know. So um, a lot of sales, sales, calling, following up, I think is a key success factor. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, you know, planning and properly marketing and selling would be operations, understanding how you can get your product from point A to point B and doing your due diligence. So like for us, and for me, I read like an import export for dummies book before we launched. So even though I had some experience as a buyer and, and supply chain and whatnot, I made made sure that I read an import export book for dummies just to make sure I considered all the different factors and I made my partner do it as well. And we had like review sessions to ensure that we covered all the proper customs and other aspects so that we could be profitable and we knew what kind of targets we needed. Cause if we don't know what we need to hit with our margins and whatnot then it's just uh, you're not doing anybody a service. You're helping farmers, and then six months later, you're out of business. We're trying to do something for the long term. And, yeah, so understanding how to get it from point A to B and doing your research and understanding your your numbers to know what you need to sell at. And there's margin calculators online, and there's a lot of resources just from Googling that you could find what you need. Yeah, it sounds like it's like just prepare. Do the due diligence. Yeah. The resources are out there. You don't need to... There's like not only one road to get there. I guess that's where that question was leading is what are the things that people can start doing now that are basically excuse free? Like no one can yeah. say, oh, well, I didn't go to this college for this when obviously you read like an import export book for dummies. Like I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, you know, but yeah, and, and also actually just doing it because I, I get so many people coming up to me and, and, you know, like ideas are easy, but it's the actual implementation that's the difficult. Execution, right. Yeah, because you, you'll never know if your your um, theories and your projections are accurate mm-hmm. if you don't just get out and do it. So sometimes, yeah, you have to plan, but at the same time, just do it, sell in a small way. Set up a – nowadays, it's so easy for people to start businesses with a cheap uh, e-commerce platform. You can go to a, a local farmer's market. You can sell to friends and family and just get feedback on whatever product or service you're asking. You're, you know, this is for entrepreneurship in general. Yeah. And then, you know, just continue to prototype and pivot from there. Just getting it out there faster, which is what I learned from my first startup, the crowdfunding to now. It's like I spent a lot of time planning, but not enough time actually testing it and piloting it 
Yeah, getting and, that that immediate feedback, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One, although one thing that because I know we're getting to the top of the hour, but I I wanted to make sure I got to this story before we closed out because one other yeah. thing that struck me when I was reading up on your story and your experiences was the value of your network and your ability to leverage that. Could you share the the story of how you convinced one of your early investors to invest in you rather than a new car? Oh, that, that story. He ended up getting that Porsche, by the way. It was like an article like a, I did on Financial Times. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's actually a good friend of mine. Um, he, he started his own company after leaving a corporate job that he wasn't happy with. Uh, so he, under, he understood that journey. So I've been fortunate to have some good friends that have, you know, we've worked together in corporate and, mm-hmm. you know, they've pursued their own things, whether it be nonprofit, for profit. And um, I guess I could be very convincing at the time. And now it's like, you know, when you're passionate about something and he, he knew my background with mm-hmm. operations and executing and what, an MBA and whatnot. So he just believed I could do something. And he was like, you know, help you reach your dreams. Because he was an inspiration to me. Mm. My buddy's like Port- uh, Puerto Rican-American or Puerto Rican. Uh, I loved how he had moved to Puerto Rico, even though he never grew up there. He had visited and learned Spanish and just actually just lived there. And I was like, wow, I'd love to do something like that in the Philippines. So, so he got uh, it. He, he understood the story, basically. Yeah, he understood that f- for us as a diaspora, if you will. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he wanted to help me achieve my dream. So I'm forever, uh, forever grateful to him for that. And I'm glad we're still friends because <laughs> uh, we moved on since then. Yeah, yeah. Although I will say that some people will, will hear that story and go like, well, that's just because you're naturally good at talking to people, you know. And I and I I I'm of the opinion that that's not necessarily true. Like you could, anyone could be good at networking if they, you know, worked that or took an approach. I'm wondering, do you have what's your approach to building your network today, or or trying to connect more with people? You know, are, do, it, are there certain things that you do regularly? Do you grab coffee like once a week, or what, you know what? what are the things that you do? That's a good question because I stopped doing that consciously because I did it initially with my crowdfunding platform when I was trying to really build a community, connect mm-hmm. diaspora groups and, you know, farmers and, and co-ops. So at this point now, I'm just more focused on our work and the business and just um, understanding challenges and working through them, co-creating together with our uh, with our farmer groups. Um, I'm even using our farmer groups as hubs for onboarding other co-ops if there's... Uh, oh, that's awesome demand on this side so like they could do the packaging and we work on profit sharing so it's, it's really cool like you know having that transparency and coordinating future farm visits for um, clients um, but yeah so now you know what I did in the past yeah I would um, I do my homework um, so I you know research people that I feel like would be beneficial this is when I was getting started when I was working my other model or trying to create because at this point now I'm more selective I know what I want so mm-hmm. like you know, I've been in touch with USAID uh, just to be on their radar if they have future opportunities in the Philippines. I, I talk to groups like NGOs that are working in agriculture, and um, you know, we talk about best practices. I have friends who are in coffee that were one of my inspirations to get do what we're doing. That I we we share notes and whatnot that are doing stuff in the Philippines. So I guess knowing what you want and um, understanding that it's a two-way thing with value and networking where you're offering something and you're getting something in return. Because even now, like, sometimes I get people that reach out and just want to know what I'm doing. And uh, it's not necessarily as productive for me to meet someone for coffee just to talk when I'm more focused on building and growing. So it's it's kind of that trade-off. Some things I do is, like, I'm into social entrepreneurship. So here in L.A., 
I've looked up, I, I just emailed uh, somebody recently uh, who's in the field through a mutual friend, actually, <laughs> let's talk about networking, just to talk about some of the best practices and trends that she's seeing with the organization that she's in mm -hmm. that handles the portfolio of social enterprises. But yeah. Uh, just, yeah, just uh, focusing on groups that I'm interested in. So social entrepreneurship, organic food industry, and uh, also those in the Filipino diaspora that are doing cool things, connecting back. Um, are typically who I ended up connecting with just based on mutually shared interests, you know, yeah. cause it's not, really, it's not really trying, you know, like I enjoy talking to you. Or right. Right. I, I think it's because the reason I asked that question is because I, I think that a network is extremely important and sometimes the word networking gets a, a bad rap. I'm, I guess from yeah. B school where it feels very disingenuous, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's this idea that like, it doesn't have to be work. If, if you're, if you want to learn something and you're interested, it's not really like like you said. It's not even doesn't feel like work because it's it's like sharing best practices and you actually want to meet this person anyway. Yeah, you know. So yeah, so to as a so actually yeah to answer your question, I think it's adding value. Mm -hmm. So like when I'm reaching out to somebody, there's something I could offer, whether it be some insights into you know how to work on online fundraising, and then in turn they're sharing insights on packaging or whatever. Right. So understanding that aspect i think like uh, respecting other people's time and uh trying to offer something that could help them Un you know empathy understanding you know okay i'll look, meeting with somebody i'll look them up on linkedin find out their background so that if there's something i could help them with or connect them with you know i'll do it so that's always been my philosophy it's like i'm more look at it in terms of how can i help you if we're connecting uh, just because i you know you, we have some similar interest and right uh, right right one last question before i close out are there certain habits or routines that you found essential to maintaining your work today? Just because, I mean, it's a lot of work when you're, you're, there's no yeah. playbook that you can, you know, you're not just an employee who someone gives the orders. Like you're, this is your thing and you have to think about the farmers and, and the communities that you're working with. Yeah. Are there routines that you use to keep yourself sane? Yeah, um, or I'm always I've always been big on organization and having a you know short-term goals, long-term goals, uh, writing it down and tracking it, um, and then delegating appropriately to uh, you know to the team and different partners. So uh, that's something I do every day, where I have a list of what I need to accomplish for the day, what I want to accomplish in the short term, in the week, and how it's working towards long-term goals, so that we're slowly chipping away at it because. You know, people look at the sexy side of entrepreneurship, like, oh, you're doing this, that, whatever. But there's a lot of uh, downtime. There's a lot of ups and downs. It's not a straight, you know, trajectory. And as long as you're committed on your mission and focused on your goals, mm -hmm. as long as you're making incremental progress, to me, that's that's most important. So that's what I kind of look at, um, how I'm making an impact day to day. Because you have to, you truly have to be self-motivated. Because nobody's telling you what to do, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I know, like, there are people who are definitely afraid of that. Like, if self motivation is often this, oh, but you're motivated. And I'm not. I'm just not that kind of person. And it's like, no, yeah. I think you. Could... There's tools. Yeah, there's there's yeah. stuff to work on. But yeah, related to that, sorry. Aside from you know how proper planning, it's just there's a lot of good tools out there to um, keep organized. Some project management tools. Google Drive is a lifesaver. So. Um, I use that a lot mm -hmm. in terms of sharing because, you know, working remotely, you have partners in the Philippines and other areas that uh, you need to be able to communicate efficiently and effectively. And I think uh, that's another area that I've always focused on is like streamlining our operations, writing down our procedures so that the next time we have to ship something via air cargo or ocean or this, that, whatever, regardless of the product, we have a system and we could focus more on the fun stuff, which is like the client needs, um, working with the farmers on different aspects. Right. Right. 
the last section is a group of questions that I ask every guest who's been on the show. The questions are super short. Okay. It's up to you if you want to answer them short or if you want to expound on detail. But the questions for sure will be short. Cool? So is it, but it's rapid fire, so I should be kind of more to the point, right? <laughs> eh, it's up to you. Sometimes okay, there's a really good story and we'll, you know, I'll, I'll go with it. Uh, okay. okay, so first question is person who most influenced you from a social entrepreneurship standpoint? Person, person. Um, there, 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 uh, there's a lot of people that I respect and admire, um, whether it be when I first learned about GK and Tony Maloto, when I um, learned about other groups uh, like Happy Noe and Mark Ruiz and what they're doing with... Um, Sorry, sorry, store nine eyes. Um, I, I guess if I were to name somebody that I've looked up to and spent time with would be my friend Shar, who okay. uh, who has a, a social enterprise called Good Food Community. Mm-hmm. So what GFC does is uh, they do community shared agriculture. They work with uh, um, like 20, 30 farmers, I believe, in Tarlac. And uh, each week they... Uh, you know, grab their produce and they deliver it in a biome to different clients in Manila, Metro Manila. Mm-hmm. So every week clients get fresh produce and they're connecting basically um, farm to table. Uh, so I, I thought it's pretty awesome what she's done. Um, so she'd be somebody that I guess you could say I look up to and, and admire based on her work and how it overlaps with what we're doing. Awesome, awesome. And I'll, I'll for the people who are listening, I'll include a lot of, because you've mentioned a lot of organizations and, and people, I'll uh, include links in the show notes so people can look. Yeah. Them up. Um, second question, because you mentioned tools and Google Drive. Best tool you've actually purchased ever that helped you with your work? Um, let's see. You know, our Shopify website and our Zero, um, you know, cloud accounting software has been really great. Zero Just cloud. A, yeah, X E R O. Um, okay. So it's like uh, QuickBooks. Ah, okay. But, you know, we, we create invoices, we can track clients. Um, I'm still looking for a good CRM software that I'm actually in the process of um, reviewing a few. But th- those are two that have been um, really good, Shopify and Zero. Um, and what does, shop- what does shop- Shopify do? <clears throat> Just our um, website. Ah, okay. So you know, online hosting, it, it takes care of a lot of back end. It's easy to edit your – because I, I created a website before with graphic designers and, you know, I don't know coding mm. and whatnot. So having something that's user-friendly that I could just – edit myself quickly on a website has been really helpful. And I think websites like Shopify and Squarespace have helped um, spawn a lot of uh, entrepreneurs across the world, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. It's oiling the cogs of the machine, right? Reducing the friction. Three three ingredients to describe you. Ingredients? Yeah. Um, I guess... All right, well, I guess we'll have to stick with uh, things that I enjoy. So I guess rice is such a heart of our, our Filipino culture. Yep. Uh, um, and it's just omnipresent. Rice, um, cacao. Um, why cacao? Because I love chocolate. I've always, I guess you could describe me as champorado, I guess. <laughs> Third thing would be like coconut sugar. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just say champorado. Yeah. Coconut sugar, rice, and cacao to make a nice uh, mix. I love this question. I get the wackiest answers with this. One. <laughs> Next question: One book or documentary or any resource for the common person, like if they had to watch or read something that you're like, you got to do this. What would it be? Oh, there's so many. Um, one book that I read before I started my corporate career after I graduated college was um, 
The Seven Habits. So I think that's a classic book, um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This is and by, so there's uh, some, Kobe, right? Yeah, who yep. passed away a few years ago. So that's always I, I've, I've bought that book for friends before uh, as a gift. Um, there's some good principles such as um, you know seek first to understand, then to be understood. And they brought a good example about doctors, how they're quick to prescribe, but not to prescribe based on symptoms and not look dig deeper into really understanding what the underlying challenge is. So, I mean, obviously that's really relevant to what we're doing with our work, you know, work working with farmers and how we're trying to address insurmountable challenges. But there's also a lot of other good principles there, such as like, I don't know if it's from that book, but like under promise and over deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, so just it's a good life book. Life yeah. Skills, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. My my dad gave it to me too. I think when I graduated high school, oh, so I completely agree beautiful. with the seven habits. If you had to boil down all of your work so far into one line, like a one line message that you would, I don't know, stick on the front of one of your black rice, for example, what would that one line be? Um, just living life to the fullest, pursuing um, pursuing passion plus profit. For me, like, uh, I guess this is kind of going off all over the place, but I've just really been um, a believer in the potential of business to do a lot of really good, really good in this world. Because yeah. from talking to a lot of non, so I guess the power, uh, the power and potential of business to actually do good in the world would be something that I think you'd see in my tombstone, if you will. Yeah, That's one yeah, of ways. yeah. Is uh, you know, coming from that corporate background and doing my MBA. And then connecting with communities, there's a, definitely a disconnect. That's why they say business acumen is a skill that's really a challenge for a lot of groups. Is because um, sometimes people think profit is evil and capitalism is evil, but um, that's not necessarily the case. Um, there's uh, who's that Harvard professor? Uh, God, it's on the tip of my tongue, but uh, uh, Porter, Michael Porter, is real big on sustainability and the potential for business to really make massive, scalable change. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I was starting Social Project, I talked to like uh, Joey Concepcion, who's like uh, you know really big on entrepreneurship. He's with Go Negocio, and he was like, in order for challenges like poverty and uplifting the country to really happen, you're really going to need corporations with their who have the the scale and size to make a massive impact to really get involved in um, making these changes. Because you can't rely on these small social enterprise co-ops alone because their impact is so small, like a drop in the bucket. Helping 50 people is great, 100, but you know we need to help millions of people. So mm-hmm. collectively, we could work together with corporations, with other stakeholders to make an impact um, with aligned you know, values and efforts. Right. I know right. this seems really general, but I'm actually working on something related to that, like a, a, a platform. I'm just always like having fun with stuff, but <laughs> oh, we that, we can talk about that off, you know, somewhat, you know. That's gonna be that sounds like a future episode to me when it launches. You hear if it does. Oh, uh, I don't know if and when, right? Um, but well, I'll, I'll mention it briefly of what I'm trying to look at is like one of the challenges with with the farmers, a constant challenge is cash flow. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you have a harvest once or twice a year. Um, you get paid at that time, but the other months you still have needs like putting your kids through school, school supplies, food on the table, etc. And I'm trying to look at a model like what if we could find a way to like pay the farmers monthly through selling pre-harvest at a discount to different wholesale buyers 
and creating a platform where there's transparency, you can verify certifications, you can communicate with them, whether it be through some kind of CRM or uh, online mobile platform. So I'm looking to find a ways to address the cash flow, the basic cash flow problem that small farmers have and how we can help address that. And it's something we have challenges with as well. So, um, mm, yeah, now, now I'm thinking now, but you know, when, when it comes out, not if, I would love to hear more about it, uh, yeah. which does lead me to my next one is like, where can people okay. follow the story, whether it's social products or whatever you're doing, where would they follow? Um, we're not as active on social media, but um, I guess through our handles, our social products handle on Instagram or Instagram's pretty good or Facebook, mm -hmm. as well as just through our website. Um, okay. Sometimes we have updates on there. Like I've updated it with some of the new products that we're carrying, such as uh, cacao and some black rice flour. And we're actually, we're actually also started um, helping sell heirloom rice from the from Eighth Wonder, which is a, another social business yep, yep. based in Montana that has awesome uh, rice from the rice terraces. And the reason we started featuring them is because uh, I just really love what they do and just showing solidarity for their work with heirloom rice and supporting smallholder Filipino farmers as OGs, if you will. In yeah. This type of, um, you know, we, we help sell them to some of our clients in restaurants as well as online. Yeah. And I guess people could also find your product in maybe a restaurant near them. Yeah. Right. Although I'm a little, uh, I'm a little jealous because I can't obviously go to like a nearby store and just grab it, but yeah, no, we're not, we're working on some with, uh, some wholesale distributors in, in a few different cities to, um, provide it, um, whether it be private label or in uh, food service size. So I'll keep you posted on that actually. All right. Yeah. That's for me, that's more of a selfish need for me to be able to feature it in a dinner so that's awesome <laughs> that's yeah. where the that's where the question come from but yeah see that wasn't that wasn't too long that was pretty good okay so that worked out okay yeah yeah, yeah. so hey thanks again for the time i know with your schedule is like super busy so i really appreciate that you took the time to, to tell this story because i think it's something that we don't often hear a lot of like i'll attend events and it's either the very business side or it's the very you know, spiritual, <laughs> mission-driven, you know, and yeah. we don't often see how people can reconcile the two. So I think that, yeah. you know, this story of how you've you've managed to go from corporate and tying the threads all together that they all fit, I think is, is really yeah. key for people to, to, to get to hear. So again, yeah, thank you. Uh, I know we're on different coasts, but I'm sure we'll run into each other in the Philippines. Yeah, I'm I'd sure. love to, you know, Chad, <laughs> I want to, you know, Love to connect again, and you know, sooner than later, just you know, learn about some of the stuff you're doing and connecting. Yeah, 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 man. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah.